The One Hundred Years' War, the de Guesclin period, the French Offensive of 1372, Part 1. Now, the Duke of Bourbon took the field with Bertrand de Guesclin and Marshal Sincere on the first half of July 1372. Probably at Bruges, they were joined towards the end of the month by the Duke de Berry, and their combined forces were estimated at 3,000 men-at-arms and 800 crossbowmen. The army's first task was invading Poitou, when deal with the fortress town of Saint-Sever, on the river Indre in southern Berry, a thorn in the flesh of the Dukes de Berry and Bourbon, and their subjects for, a year, for several years and a serious threat to the army's rear. They arrived there in the middle of July. A subsidiary force was sent to invest La Soutraine, 35 miles away, across the plateau Basberry. The captains of both fortresses, Sir John Devereux, was at La Rochelle. In his absence, the command of Saint-Sever was assumed by John Fotheringhay, a notorious figure from the past who had achieved brief fame and a considerable fortune as captain of the Routier garrison of Creel at the end of the 1350s. He commanded a garrison of around 140 routiers of diverse nationalities, including many local men. On about July the 30th, 1372, after the siege had been in progress for about two weeks, Saint-Sever was taken by storm in an operation which was long remembered as a model of its kind. The French undermined the outer curtain wall at several points. They then divided the circuit into three sectors and, as the mines were fired, launched simultaneous assaults with scaling ladders on all three. The defenders of the curtain wall were overwhelmed too quickly to be able to withdraw into the citadel. Nearly half of them were killed in the fighting, and many more cut down as they tried to escape into the fields. The rest were left to the mercy of the conquerors in accordance with the pitiless laws of war. The French attitude to routiers had hardened since the 1350s. They hanged every one of them apart from those who were judged to be soldiers in the service of Edward III rather than brigands fighting for themselves. Fotheringhay's position was perhaps ambiguous, but he had crossed Marshal Sancerre in an earlier encounter and was put to death with the rest. Another English brigand was only spared by the order of the Duke of Bourbon, who recognized him as a man who had served him in England during his years as a hostage in the 1360s. Recalling these events many years later as an old man, Bourbon's standard-bearer thought that only four of the defenders had been left alive. The Cap de Bush was at Saint-Jean-de-Lay in the northern Santage. As soon as he knew that the French army had left Bruges, he called a council of war. The moment of crisis had clearly arrived. The assembled captains resolved to summons every available men-at-arms from Poitou and the Santage to confront the invaders. It is impressive that even at this stage, and against such long odds, Cap de Bush was able to gather most of the more famous names of the Poitvin nobility under his banner. But many of their followers stayed away. By the end of July, Cap de Bush is reported to have only had about 900 men-at-arms and 500 archers under his command, and many of those had been taken from garrisons. Foissart says that the Cap de Bush army had planned to attack the French siege lines at Saint-Sever. Sir John Devereux, whose garrison had been holding the place, and Sir Thomas Percy, one of whose cousins was there, were the main supporters of this plan. It suited Captain Bush's aggressive instincts, and he went along with it, but the attempt cost him the campaign. The Captain Bush army was assembled in the Benedictine Abbey of Cheroux in the southern Poitou. While they were there, the French commanders abandoned the siege of La Soutraine and marched directly into Poitou. The constable and the Duke of Bourbon led the way. 
On about August the 1st, 1372, they arrived before Chauvigny, the fortress town which guarded the bridge over the river Vienne. Situated on a, high, on a spur of high ground over the bridge and defended by a circuit wall and no fewer than five castles, Chauvigny was one of the strongest places in the eastern march of Poitou. But its garrison, after initial show of defiance, surrendered on about August the 5th as the French were preparing to launch their assault. Once the French had seized the bridge at Chauvigny, they were able to put the bulk of their forces between Cap de Bush's army at Cheroux and the provincial capital at Poitiers. Poitiers was in a state of ferment. Its garrisons were too small to defend the place. The last vestiges of the prince's administration had collapsed. The prince's receiver packed up the contents of the provincial treasury, 30,000 florins in gold, jewels, and cash, put it in a chest, and stole away. The pro-French element among the citizens, who must now have been considerable majority, sent word to Bertrand de Giesclin that they were ready to open the gates if he came quickly. De Giesclin collected a cavalry force of some 300 men-at-arms and made for Poitiers as fast as possible, riding through the night. The mayor, Jean Renaud, and the leaders of the city did their best to stem the tide of defections. They sent urgently for help from Cap de Bush, but he was unwilling to emasculate his small field army and could spare no more than about a hundred men-at-arms. They rode north under the command of Guichard d'Aglais, the bastard son of Jean. In an unequal race, de Guisclin arrived outside the gates of Poitiers while they were still some miles off, probably on the morning of August the 6th. De Guisclin began to parley with the representatives of the citizens on the wall. The epic poem of Bertrand de Guisclin's life, that curious mixture of fact and fiction and arresting images, describes the constable standing beneath the walls with a handful of attendants, a page holding his helmet, as if in readiness for assault, and offering the city of a choice between surrender and the horrors of a sack. They asked time for deliberation. By now, even Renaud and his colleagues recognized defeat. Cautious to the end, they resolved not to surrender to such a small force for fear the city would be retaken by Cap de Bush before the main French army could arrive. They told the constable that they would open their gates when they saw the banners of the Duc de Berry on the horizon. They also made it a condition that the French were not to depart without dealing with the English garrison. As soon as this decision had been made, the handful of English soldiers in the city fled for the citadel. Those who failed to make it were seized and bundled out the gates. On August the 7th, 1372, the Duke of Berry, having ridden at more than his usual dignified speed from Chauvigny, arrived outside of the city. He solemnly received the keys from the mayor before riding through the streets, to the cries of Montjoy from the assembled crowds. The citadel was assaulted from the street shortly afterwards, and after resisting for a day and a half, surrendered on terms. Inside, the French found just 18 men, a magnificent ceremonial sword, and the seals of the Principality of Aquitaine. In Paris, Charles V ordered masses to be celebrated at Notre Dame Cathedral. Now, the sources for this... The 100 Years' War by Froissart, the, his Chronicles, The 100 Years' War by Perrois, The 100 Years' War by Nylans, and The 100 Years' War, A House Divided, Volume 3, by Sumption. So I hope you enjoyed that, and as always, don't forget to come by the website, summahistorica.com or historyaccordingtobob.com, and ask a question, leave a comment, check out our merchandise, and if you like what we're doing, please feel free to support us. Thank you very much.